You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Well, amen. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, and we're looking at verses 13 through 18. You know, it's always interesting when you come to the pulpit and you're wiping away tears and you can't see the Bible, you can't see the text, so it takes just a moment. And boy, we need more churches with tears in their eyes. You know, you can get your theology straight, but boy, theology without tears, it's not really worth much, is it? And uh, we serve a great God. The title of the message today is The Danger of the World's Wisdom. Now, let me repeat that. Young parents especially, I want you to listen. The danger of the world's wisdom. And boy, it can be dangerous. And we're going to be looking at that today. James chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. James says, Who is wise and understanding among you, let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. If you remember last week, I, I opened with an illustration of Sheila and I and our four children having an opportunity to be in Edinburgh, Scotland. We stayed in the Queen Mother's Sister's Castle. And uh, while we were in that castle, Sheila and I were up in, the, up in our room. It was like on the third floor of this castle, old castle, like something you would picture in your mind. And we looked out into the courtyard. They had this unbelievable maze that has hedges that are probably taller than that. And, and, it, and you walk through that maze, and it's kind of a game to the British of finding your way. Well, we looked down, saw all four of our children, Amy, Emily, Ledge, Jeffrey, they were down in this maze, and they could not get out. And so finally they were looking, crying, hollering for somebody to help them, going down one corridor after another, and we opened the window of this old castle we looked down and we shouted, got their attention, and we said, now listen, stop, and we begin to help them get out of that maze. And we said this, that when we talk about God's wisdom, God is a transcendent God. If this lower floor here is time, space, and matter, our universe, that wall's the beginning of time, that wall's the consummation of the age or the end of time. And remember when Moses said, God, what is your name? He said, my name is what? I am. 
God's not past, present, and future. Everything is present tense to God. Why? Because he's outside of time and space and matter. He's not held like you and I are within his creation. He's outside of it. When we say, God, I want your wisdom, what you're saying is this. I want God's wisdom to see my life my decisions and the life of the people that I love and their decisions, I want to see it from God's perspective. I'm looking down in this maze. In other words, for um, Carrie and, and Brittany back there, this would be Bonnie. You're just simply praying. Even though Bonnie's this cute little running around little toddler, you would be saying, God, right now, you may already have her husband in place, and God, you see down because he's the I am. He sees Bonnie's life from her first breath to her last. He already knows her whole life. And so what they're saying is, God, give us your vantage point, your wisdom to look at her life and to guide her all along the way in her journey through life. That's God's wisdom. But let me say something else. With that illustration in mind, let me, let me give you something to think about. Imagine if Sheila and I had looked down into that maze. Now, everybody listen. And we saw a threat, a danger, an evil that was coming after our children. Now, this redefines everything. As a parent, we're saying, Amy, Emily, Ledge, Jeffrey, look, stop. There's an urgency, there's a passion. Don't go down that way. No, stop. Go back the other way. Do an up 180. Go this way. Turn left. Stop. Look at me. Stay there. Stay there for a moment. Don't move. Okay, now turn, turn right. Why? Because we've got a sinister, evil force in the maze that is after our children. My friend, every parent, listen. Bonnie has an enemy. And that enemy's put his crosshairs on her little life. And that enemy's going to do everything he can to keep her out of God's will, God's word, God's plan, God's purpose for her life. So parent, it is critical in the raising of our children that we understand. I wrote down here with that illustration in mind, imagine if there were a sinister evil force. Now listen to this, manipulating and luring our children to dead ends or worse, down corridors that would harm them. How many of you have seen The Sound of Freedom? Raise your hand. Amen. Davion and Derry, thank you. Because the African American in this country needs to understand that they must be concerned about this issue because there are more children being sold in the sex trafficking industry, a $150 billion industry, and you want to know what country is the number one consumer of sex trafficking? The United States. And the African American is strategically Right now, I believe in a place that they can speak against this form of slavery like no other ethnicity in this country. Thank you for going and seeing this movie. Do you know how they get children in sex trafficking? Do you know how they kidnap these children? 
It is usually somebody who will somehow coax the child, gain the child's trust, get them to look at them and follow that person and finally that child and they showed live scenes at a, at a place in the movie and it was frightening to watch as children were being video, they're being kidnapped and taken, many of them never seen again, many of them being transported all over the world many of them ending up here you see you and I need God's, God's wisdom I, I, I need God's wisdom right now. I, a moment ago, hey, Paul, Paul, turned around. Here's big old Caleb coming up behind me. Wrapped my arms around him. Just grabbed him up, hugged him. Ain't nothing like hugging Caleb. I just hugged him up. Said, Caleb, you all right? How you feeling, buddy? Caleb's got an enemy. And as his grandfather, you know what I'm doing? I'm praying, and I'm saying, God, give me your vantage point of being able to watch this boy who loves the outdoors, who loves animals, who may be one day a veterinarian. God, give me the wisdom to know how to pray and to give him guidance as a grandfather. You see, wisdom is critical. And so in James chapter 3, 13 through 18, what James does is he gives us two types of wisdom. In fact, the first point is simply this. What kind of wisdom do you possess? Now think about it. Now he, he starts off, look at James chapter 3, verse 13. He starts off with a question. Who is wise and understanding among you? In other words, it's just kind of a dialogue that he's having. He's done it before. James chapter 2, he said, who says he has faith? Paul used this. Where is the wise? In James chapter 3, 13, who claims to be wise, to have wisdom, wisdom to be able to teach? Now, who claims to be wise? You know, uh, one writer said that's an Old Testament-type thinking. It's a wisdom. Listen to this parent. Listen to this single person. Listen to this senior adult. It is a wisdom that is linked to a biblical outlook with a practical application to your life. In other words, you understand the Bible, you're a student of the Bible, you're learning from the Bible, and you're taking these spiritual principles and you're applying them to your life. That's what it is. This is not a PhD. One writer said it's not a PhD. It has nothing to do with education or degree. It is the person who, listen to this, who knows God and knows how to do life. They know God and they know how to do life. One writer said, this is divine horse sense. My grandmother, you've heard me talk about her. We'd sit there, she'd lived in a single wide trailer, lived on a social security check. At that time, it was about $243. She didn't have already, hardly anything. Sat in that little single wide trailer on a vinyl couch. But she poured more wisdom in me than I ever got from any institution of higher learning. None. And grandparent, you have an awesome responsibility. This is the wise part of it. God, I'm learning your word. And listen, I'm applying it to my life. And hear me, everybody listen. And I'm applying it to the lives of the people that I know, that I love. My wisdom, my biblical knowledge, my life lessons 
My putting into practice God's word is not simply for me. It's for that big guy coming around the corner who says, hey, Paul, Paul, it's me wrapping my arm around him, pouring into him, spending time with him, investing in him, so that one day when he's had a difficult decision, he'll do like my grandmother did, crippled with arthritis on a vinyl couch the first time I brought her from college carried her into that home at a little family get together she did this that old arthritic hand said doll baby come here you know what she said to me she said she's a keeper I said Momo she's a 19 year old widow she's been through a lot doll baby She's a keeper. You hang on to her. That's wisdom. The ability to see in a way that other people don't. That's what the word here means. Who is wise? It's somebody who knows the Bible and, can, and applies it to their life. And then he goes on to say, and understanding. Look at it again. Who is wise and understanding? Some of you may have the word intelligent. It's not to say that we're not trained. It's not to say that we're not professional teachers. It's not to say that our academics is not important. I have counseling skills that I learned at a doctoral level. It's not to say that those are that they're not important. They are. But my friend, without biblical wisdom, without God's wisdom, they mean absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. Doesn't make a dime's worth of difference. Now he goes on, and I wrote down here, let's look at your wisdom. Let's put your wisdom, my wisdom, under God's microscope and through the power of God's Holy Spirit. Let's do an MRI. Let's do a CAT scan on our wisdom. Look at what he goes on to say. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by what? By his what? By her what? By good life. Wow. Wow. Think about that. One writer said, let's look at your life. One writer said this, the danger is someone who professes, professes one thing while living another. They talk about God's love, but they treat others with prejudice, hostility, anger, frustration, short-tempered, impatient, and unkind. That person has not, that person does not have biblical wisdom one writer said James said you can have all the world's wisdom academic degrees qualifications positions in the church but if it does not affect your life and how you treat other people it's not worth a dime doesn't mean anything if you and I fail to reflect Jesus Christ it is not the wisdom of God now look at what James says he's saying let's do an MRI let's do a CAT scan who is wise and understanding among you. Let him show it by his good life, by his deeds, watch this, done in humility that comes from wisdom. It's deeds done in gentleness and humility. Why? Because one writer said this, he said the world's wisdom will puff you up, right? You get degrees, you get education, and before long, you know, it'll make you a little bit arrogant. Feed your ego. You know, before long, you think you're somebody. I've got a lot of wisdom. Let me tell you, let me tell you two things that I've learned in ministry. Age does not automatically mean wisdom. Some of the dumbest people I've ever met were senior adults. 
And age is one thing, and education's another. I've met people with all kinds of degrees behind their name. They look like a ther- they look like a thermometer walking around. And my friend, they were as dumb as ignorant as no telling what. Doesn't make any difference. This is not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if anybody has wisdom, it results in a good life. Godly wisdom results in a good life, and it results in deeds done in humility and gentleness. In fact, in verse 14, he uses a first-class conditional here. What he's saying is there are some teachers doing the things of God, but they're doing those things in jealousy, rivalry, ambition, aggressiveness, inflated egos behind it. In other words, he's saying that's not wisdom. That's not God's wisdom. Charles Stanley did this. He gave a test for pride. Listen, do you want to take a test for pride? Because biblical godly wisdom is not a proud, arrogant type of wisdom listen to what Stanley said Charles Stanley said let me give you a test for pride this is the evidence he writes if you have pride in your life or I do the desire to be number one continual reference to yourself the longing to be the center of attention a need to seek praise and compliments from others a desire to dress in such a way as to gain gain the attention of others, a need to be in prominent places, an unwillingness to help people who are less fortunate, a rebellious spirit, a tendency to take credit for something that someone else did, a refusal to do menial tasks, refusing to apologize when wrong, an attitude of self sufficiency how did you do I didn't do too good because you see the reality is is this kind of wisdom this earthly unspiritual wisdom it can even affect pastors you know a lot of times pastors get a big church a lot of people become corporate executives some people become professionals lawyers and doctors and other positions. Some people are university professors, the academic world. Some people are just money people. They've got money. And if we're not careful, it becomes egotistical, domineering, self-seeking. That's not the wisdom the Bible's talking about. There's a danger even in the church. You know, I'm always interested when I see pastors who have parking places. The first lady of the church. What does that even mean? Power mongers in the church who love positions and power, deacons and elders. It can happen to anybody. So what is he saying here? Watch what he goes on to say in verse 14. He said that kind of wisdom, this earthly wisdom, but if you harbor bitter envy, And selfish ambition, where? Where do you harbor it? In your heart. In the Greek, it's the present indicative, present active indicative. In other words, it means that this is going on right now. Right now in your heart, you're harboring an attitude in the cardia, in that that heart, that seat of emotions, your, your personality. Your personality's been invaded by this sensual, earthly kind of wisdom that leads to bitter envying. 
You're simmering with anger. You've got a competitive nature. You've got a selfish ambition. You're not denying yourself. It's all about yourself. All you're doing is promoting self. Want to be seen, want to be heard. Want everybody to speak well of you. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, beware when all men speak well of you. You know, there's a high cost to everybody loving you. Sometimes a godly man, a godly woman will be not liked. They will be unliked. And so this is what he's saying. Watch this, verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Don't boast about it. What? I wrote down here, one writer said, yes, we tend to brag on this earthly wisdom. We excuse it. We call it a dog-eat-dog world. Take no prisoners. Being shrewd, being forceful. The world loves that. Let me tell you, there are a lot of people, Sheila, in, 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 in voting for a sheriff for Rankin County. We went into that voting booth, and I'll do what I never do. We went into that voting booth sick over how two African-American men were treated by six goons working for the sheriff's department for Rankin County. I got in there, stood there, looked at it for a moment, looked at the incumbent, and then wrote down there, Brent Leach. I said, it's 6'5", former uh, Major League Baseball player, a man that loves God. I'll vote for Brent Leach to be the sheriff. Therese... Sheila wrote in a name, and you would agree 100% if I said the name right now. In fact, I will say it. She wrote Bubba Holderfield in there. Bubba Holderfield's been in this church. Bubba Holderfield works for the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation. And when one time Davion was treated in a way that was not right in Flowood, it was Bubba Holderfield who came here, sat with Davion, and we did a telecast, we did a simulcast where we walked uh, through this process of law enforcement and race relations and profiling. I sent a message to Bubba Holderfield. I said, Bubba, I said, I want you to know Sheila, when she wrote your name in and the statement, I looked at Sheila and I told her what I did and kind of laughed. She said, I wrote in a name of a man that is not only a Christian, but a man who would bring the highest level of integrity to the office of sheriff at Rankin County. I sent that to Bubba and Bubba said, wow, thank you. That's wisdom. Well, I went in there kind of irritated. She went in there asking God, God, give me wisdom. Help me to understand. You see, sometimes the world looks at wisdom and they see something that is not even biblical. It's not correct. You know, some people make this statement, well, don't go into politics. He's too good. She's too good to go into politics. Some people believe you can't be a Christian and be in politics. My friend, we need Christians in the political process. A man and woman who listened to this church on simulcast or listened to it later on Facebook were laughing and talking about me, Miss Tracy, when I said, I said to Kanye after his service, you, Kanye, need to run for mayor. She laughed at me and said, I'll never, I would never do that. 
And I came right back at her. I said, wow, you've got two teenage daughters sitting here with you. And you immediately respond to the man of God who challenges you to step into the political process of this city, which is in horrible shape. And you immediately tell me you won't without even praying. We need people with godly wisdom. You know what he says here? But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, that's the problem in politics today in this country. It's not a John F. Kennedy. Ask what, not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. It's not that at all. Now it's selfish ambition among politicians. Get as much as you can of the pie. Cut as big a piece as you can. But my friend, the world may brag on that, but that's not right. He said, don't boast about it. The world sees it as a quality to brag on, even preachers. You know, sometimes I hear a preacher, well, you know, he's smart. Oh, he's so smart, nobody understands him. You know, Adrian Rogers said, just because the water's muddy doesn't mean it's deep. You know, think about that. Some preachers somber and sour. They don't have no compassion. They tell it like it is. You ever said that? He tells it like it is. He preaches hell's hot. I don't blame you for laughing because some of it's not Christian and Christ-like at all. It's not biblical wisdom. Let me tell you, I played a trick this week on Facebook. I put up this post. Is it wrong to tell a homeless woman deep in grief over the loss of her dog, the only family she had, that a loving Savior may have a place in heaven for her trusted companion? Wow, you wouldn't believe the responses that I got. Now let me tell you, that's not a fictitious story. A woman, homeless woman lived in her truck. That was her home. She had two dogs. A lot of times, Kathy, you may remember this, a lot of times she'd park right over here, park over here under the tree. Those two dogs were her life. That was all the family that she had. If she came to get something to eat, we learned something among homeless. We needed to keep dog food. We needed to keep something because homeless have dogs, and sometimes that's the only family that they have. One day I was standing out here in the hallway when I heard a wail, and somebody opened the door. I mean, somebody just wailed and sobbed. One of her dogs had died. She came around that corner. She looked at me and she was crying. said, Brother Jeff, Brother Jeff. She called her dog by name. She just, she collapsed. She just collapsed. Her heart was broken. You know what she said? She said, Brother Jeff, I knew you would understand because you lost grace your black lab and I thought you were going to grieve yourself so much that you couldn't even preach as you shared how much that dog meant to you from the pulpit and you wept and cried and you buried that dog in your backyard and she looked at me and said I knew you would understand so I thought well let's see what the church looks like Some were adamant about their orthodoxy. Hard, tough, no nonsense. She needs to get over it. 
Dogs don't have souls. Dogs don't go to heaven. You know what I wanted to put down? I've known some dogs I trust more better than I do church members. And I know some dogs that are better better in the church than some preachers I know. And I know some dogs that have far more compassion than some seminary professors and even presidents of our seminaries. And I wanted to say to some of the hardliners, it'll be a cold day in hell that you ever step in the pulpit at Southside again. Why? Because this woman didn't need theology. She didn't need orthodoxy. She needed somebody to hug her and say, I'm so sorry, and I understand. And God loves you. And God's taking care of even that life that is gone. I love Wayne Van Horn, Dr. Wayne Van Horn, Hebrew scholar, professor, chairs one of the departments at Mississippi College. Here a man that was more theologically, doctrinally, more educated academically than any individual who posted anything. And it was nothing but filled with compassion, grace, and mercy. You see, sometimes you and I sound wise. We got our theology right. We've got our orthodoxy right. But if we're not careful, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, we can have everything, but if we don't have love, we don't have nothing. Bob Utley said it this way. He said, the barrel of your theology gun may be straight, but if the bullet is not love, then it is not biblical wisdom. Isn't that good? Now he goes on. I've got to close in a moment, but look at verse 15. He said, such wisdom, that kind of wisdom, that earthly wisdom, it does not come from heaven, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's of the devil. That's pretty clear, isn't it? It's earthly. It's opposed to heavenly things. It's not about God's kingdom. It's about man's. It's where it comes from. It's, uh, it's un, it, you know, we've got a sister church right now. I don't really want to get into this, and I know I'm running out of time. But we've got a sister church right now that basically the, they've got a, a board of elders. And they're calling the shots. Business people that have stepped up, kind of taken over, fired the preacher, sent him down the road, and now they're in charge. One of those individuals came to a, to, a, to a friend of mine, a young man who's just finished his master's degree and said to this young man in his home, he said, you know, the church is a business. When, he, when this young man said that to me in a restaurant, I said, no, it's not a business. It's a body. Amen. And this businessman, this CEO, then looked at him and said, you know, the church is an organization. I said, no, it's not an organization. It's an organism. It's a living, breathing organism. It is the body of Christ and I looked at this individual I said that man may think that he has wisdom but he, has, he does not have biblical wisdom at all and that's the problem with the church too many are calling the shots who have what James says in verse 15 here is an earthly wisdom and look what he goes on to say it's unspiritual 
It's not, it's not indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Number three, look, James even goes farther. That kind of wisdom, that self-seeking, self-promoting, um, you know, self that kind of wisdom, James said it's demonic, it's demon-like. Uh, it, it's not of the Lord. And then verse 16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition... There you find disorder in every evil practice. You know, the result of that kind of earthly wisdom gets a lot of people hurt. Everybody listen. Parent, listen. Your child doesn't need you to speak out of your academia and sometimes not out of your experience. Your child needs to hear these words. You know, this morning, I want you to know in my quiet time as I was praying in, in the Word of God, God, God just put something on my heart. And I want to... Hey, listen. Hey, parent... Hey, uh, Carrie and Brittany, I'll pick on you. Bonnie, how old's Bonnie? Two, she's two. Well, this is 20 years from now. 20 years from now, she's 22. And we'll, 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 we'll make it good. <laughs> she's at UMC getting ready to start medical school. That make you feel pretty good? And, and, and she comes home one day and she looks at Carrie and Brittany and she says, 22-year-old, beautiful young lady, sitting there looking and saying, you know, an opportunity has opened up for me to go to medical school and uh, I've, I've done well on the MCAT and there's just, you know, it looks like I can, I can take this step. But then she looks and tears start filling her eyes and she says, you know, Mom, Dad, I listened to a missionary and I listened to the need right now for somebody to spend one year invested into the work in Zimbabwe, Africa. And mom and dad, I know y'all want me to go to medical school, but I just feel in my heart that God's just called me to take a year and, and, and invest it into the life of people that I heard Brother Jeff talk about years ago. Now let me tell you, the flesh, the earthly part of it says, you know, that door may not always be open. You know, there's a golden opportunity. Maybe a lot tougher next year, but you know what Carrie and Brittany are doing? They're looking, they've been looking ever since. She's been wandering, going around in that maze. Stop, stop Bonnie. They've been looking at her when their first date came and Carrie looked at Bonnie and said, I don't like that young man. Uh, we don't need to promote this relationship right now. I don't think this is good. They've been watching her life all along. Now she's coming to a critical moment when God has a plan and a purpose and a will for her life. And Carrie and Brittany look at each other and say, Bonnie, we're not surprised. We've been praying. And we felt like God was, had already prepared our hearts for what you're saying. And Bonnie, we want you to know we support you 100%. Now you go to Zimbabwe. And you spend a year there. And you seek God. And you do what God's called you to do. See, that, that's wisdom. That's real wisdom. Earthly wisdom, earthly wisdom will always get you into trouble. It's about selfish ambition, about envy. But it leads to disorder and evil practice. The wisdom of this word, do you know how many teeth a slug has? 27,000 teeth. A slug. Do you know that most meteors are the size of a grain of sand? But boy, a slug and a grain of sand can do a lot of damage, can it? That's what your earthly wisdom would do. You see, Bonnie doesn't need them to talk about their academic wisdoms or 
They need a word from God to give to Bonnie. Well, let me close with this. I was listening to a, a man, his name's Wentley Phillips. And you can go to my Facebook page, and I've got two pages, an Arthur page, but my personal Facebook page, you can go there, and you'll see an African-American gospel singer. His name is Wentley Phipps, or Phipps. Wentley Phipps, strange name. He's at, I believe, Madison Square Gardens with the Gaither group. He stands up, this African-American gospel singer, and he made this statement. He starts off, he said, an old black lady down south showed me something about Negro spirituals I want to share with you. He went on, he said this, listen to this. Some old black folks down south have more wisdom by accident than we have on purpose. I heard an old black lady say to me, Son, if the mountain was smooth, you couldn't climb it. She went on to say to this young man, she said, you know, all Negro spirituals were written on the black notes of the piano. Five black notes. And then this African-American man went, and he said there was an old slave ship captain his name was John Newton. And John Newton, captain of a slave ship, came under conviction. God got a hold of John Newton's life. He became convicted, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ, and he repented. And he stood with William Wilberforce, and he stood as a voice against slavery, the sale of black men and women across this globe. He stood against it in the parliament in, in, the, in, in, in England. And it was finally overthrown on the day, on the day that they sound the bell that ended slavery in Great Britain, William Wilberforce died. John Newton, John Newton went on. You find John Newton through the rest of his life a custodian working in a church, mopping floors. In fact, William Wilberforce came to see him one day, and John Newton was mopping. And Wilberforce said, I don't know what to do. I'm thinking about getting out of politics. John Newton, this old slave captain, had given his life to Christ, looked at him and said, don't do that. We need you. We need you in a position in this country. Don't do that. William, Will, William Wilberforce had a bad stomach. I can relate to that. He said, don't, don't give up. Don't do that. Don't sit down. Don't sit, don't sit down. John Newton, while mopping those floors, was pouring wisdom into William Wilberforce and overthrowing slavery around the world. When this black gospel singer walked over, he said, you know, that's true. And he started doing one Negro spiritual after another on the old black keys. And finally, he said, we forget... When we look at this song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's all on the black notes. He said they call it a white spiritual. He said, but when you look down there, he said, under Amazing Grace, words written by John Newton, music by unknown 
And this man said, I can't wait to get to heaven one day to meet Abraham and Isaac, Jacob. I can't wait to see Elijah. I can't wait to see the disciples. I can't wait to see Jesus. But I'm going to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to meet this man called unknown. Because John Newton, while he was slave captain, captain of a slave ship, he said, could hear the groans of a people that were singing. Except from the bellies of those slave ships, the cry of people as they were singing, humming that song. And John Newton, when he wrote the words to Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. But now I see the tune that came to his mind was the groan of those slaves in the belly of that ship. You and I, we need God's wisdom to get us through life. And every day of our life, we're on our knees. We're saying, oh God, I don't know what my next little granddaughter's name will be. But I know Jeffrey and Megan are peering over into that maze and saying, God, help us to know. As we name her, so shall she be. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you. And Lord, we love you and we praise you. Lord, forgive us at times when we've made decisions not based on the wisdom and the guidance of your indwelling Holy Spirit. Times when we've known what the Bible says to us and we've ignored it. Times when we've made wrong decisions, made direction changes in our life that were not in keeping with your word, not in keeping with the Holy Spirit times when we've used that counsel to give to others that it was just selfish and it had nothing to do had nothing to do with God's will for that person's life God we need your wisdom God we need to sometimes we just need to crawl up into the lap of Jesus and to say Jesus this maze is so hard Lord, I find myself going down dead ends. Lord, I find myself falling victim to the enemy. Lord, I find myself distracted and pulled in directions that are outside your will, your purpose, and your plan. Some of us need to just crawl up into the lap of Jesus and say, Lord, I need to take your yoke. I need you to take me and guide me. I don't want to go this alone. Lord, I always say when I use a, an illustration of a member, I want, to, I want to pray for Bonnie. May, dear Lord, when we see this little girl running around in this church, may we be reminded to pray for her, to live the kind of example in front of her that she will grow to be a godly woman that will serve you all her life. Lord, a moment ago, we watched children leave out of this room. And Lord, for every parent of every child, dear Lord, may they realize how much they need to be in your counsel so that they guide them the way they should go. Lord, may we understand that until we repent of our sin and give our heart and life to you, 
But Lord, we're lost in that maze. We're helplessly, hopelessly lost. And Lord, if, 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 if we never repent and we never give our heart and life to you, then dear Lord, the certainty of the end of the maze for us is hell, eternally separated from God. And Lord, for me, there are just too many people in heaven that I need to see. So Lord, if there's one here that does not know you today, in all honesty, they look at their life and they just simply say, I don't know if I'm a Christian and I've got to settle this today, then Lord, I pray that they would hear the wisdom of their pastor saying, this is something you need to do today. Don't put it off. Lord, Sheila's here. She can pray and counsel. I'm here. There are others in this room, scattered all over this room, that people can go to and say, listen, I need to settle this. Would you help me? Pray for me. People that may be watching, that God, you're speaking to their heart right now through live stream, or later on they'll hear this some way, some form, some fashion. God, you'll speak to their heart and they'll be saved wherever they may be. I had a person who said, I ride the tractor bush hogging. person who lives a long ways from here said, I, I was listening to this sermon. A preacher called me a week ago. said, I listened to an old sermon on temptation. I had heard from this man in years. And said, I, want you, I wanted to call you nearly 10 o'clock at night. I wanted to call you and tell you, thank you. We never know, Lord. So speak to us, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come. The altar's here. You can pray at this altar. If you need counsel, you can. There's people all over this room, like I said. If you want to be saved, if you're not sure, you're the most important. If you don't know Christ, I want to encourage you to come. You come. You settled that today.